Over the course of a career, artists evolve and change. Their vast body of work may morph as they explore different genres, different techniques, and subjects with varying levels of success. Today, we'll be discussing the value of regularly reimagining your art and how one art quilter, Margaret Abramshi, approaches that concept, finding new and exciting ways to reimagine and reframe it. Welcome to the Quilting Arts Podcast, where we take a deep dive into the world of contemporary art quilting. I'm Susan Brubaker Knapp, and I'm here with my co host, Vivica Hansen Denegri. Hey, Vivica. Hello, Susan. How are you? I am fine. I am fine. I'm actually exhausted because I've been staying up late watching great TV. The Olympics, I'll bet. And um, <laughs> so we're, we're actually recording this on Valentine's Day, which means that yesterday I watched a little bit of football, my one time a year of watching football. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. So a lot of sports, a yeah. lot of sports. Well, we're big Olympics fans here um, at the Knapp household. And my husband has been a huge fan of the Olympics since he was a little kid. And when our children were young, we would always try to do things centered around the country where they were having the Olympics. So we would eat Greek food and learn about Greek culture. And I remember taking very young children to a Greek restaurant for the first time, and it was not terribly successful. But, <laughs> but yeah, they, we, they we liked l- the baklava and they didn't like the gyro. I don't or- think they even liked the baklava, no. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I try to, to expose them to the diversity of the cultures as well as sitting down and watching the sports. And as you know, my younger daughter is an athlete. And was always very interested in watching the Olympics. And now I identify so much with the mothers of the athletes when they show those little profiles. And I'm like, can you imagine being the parent of of an Olympic athlete, especially one in one of those super dangerous sports and not being able to be there this time? I keep saying that. I keep watching these parents and thinking, you know, so many of those parents have been at absolutely every, I call it a performance, but every event that their kid has ever been in. And to not be at that one, I think would be sort of heartbreaking. It would be. It would, And it would be scary if they were, I mean, When your child participates in a sport, they can get injured. And as you know, mine did get injured. And to not be there if something goes really wrong is also, you know, for both the highs and the lows and to watch what's the the down ski, downhill skier. Yeah. The agony of defeat. (laughs) No, the one, the one who skied off course and her mother was a coach and she was able to ski down and sit with her on the mountain. Mm -hmm. You know, it just... It's really interesting to watch it, but I also love watching the Olympics because of all the design inspiration. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The logos and the outfits and those jackets that the American skiers are wearing with all the black and white graphics on them. I want one of those. Well, actually, you know, I think all of the all of the costumes, all the uniforms, everything that people are wearing, first of all, it's, it's that high-tech fabric, which, which is so different. And I imagine really different from a design standpoint and a technical standpoint to sew with. But, you know, just look at the bouquets of flowers. Have you seen the bouquets of flowers? They're crocheted. This, no, this I year. Yeah, uh-huh. they're all crocheted. So somebody had to design the flowers even that are given to the athletes during those during those ceremonies. And it you're right, it really is fun to watch. But what I really find fascinating is stuff that I never get to see at other times. How often is sweeping a sport? 
Now I sweep every day, <laughs> but you know, to see it is curling or, or, you know, really we don't get to see people go down the luge and, you know, go 80 miles an hour in a sled and that things new like one, that. Monobob one looks really cool. Yeah. 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 And just that word monobob, gotta love it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun, but you know, Olympic culture has, has needled its way into popular culture in so many different ways. Um, one thing that my husband and I watched last year, I think it was on Netflix or something like that, was Lilyhammer, the series Lilyhammer, which was absolutely hysterical and not so hysterical at the same time. But um, to see someone in, you know, in their imagination just be fascinated by the silly city of Lillehammer because they watched the Olympics. And then this whole series was made around a gangster who thought it would be a great place to go and be, he would huh. be in the witness protect, protection program in Lillehammer. <laughs> um, and it, the whole concept was just so crazy funny, at, but I really, really enjoyed, of course, seeing my Scandinavian culture looked at that way by, um, by a mobster. So it was, I thought, very well done and funny. But, yeah. you know, Olympics Olympics come into so much of what we do and what yeah, we see. Yeah. And such design inspiration. Yeah. And I remember mm-hmm. the Summer Olympics, the English swimmer who was knitting, remember, yes. in the stands knitting? Yes. I can't remember flag. his name. I can't remember his name, but he just, he, he pushed that sport, the knitting sport forward. Well, my um, husband is in the sports industry and uh, sports journalism industry. And so we always are looking for overlap. We're very excited when his world and my world come together. And that sweater was definitely one of those times when his people and my people were like, in the Venn diagram overlapping. <laughs> it's such a small little oval, isn't it? It really yes, is. Yes. But I'll tell you, I'm watching it and knitting and stitching along. So, and I'm assuming that a whole lot of other people are as well. So that's actually a lot of, a lot of fun. So artistically, what have you been doing these last few weeks? Nothing terribly creative because I'm still sewing those darn sleeves on for my pieces that are going to be in the exhibition, which is coming up in about two weeks. I've got to go over and hang that exhibition at the North Carolina Botanical Garden. So yeah, I've got, I'm putting these special sleeves on that hold slats so that the pieces can all hang from two little hooks. Are they split in the back, your sleeves? No, it's one sleeve and then I have sl- wooden slats with two holes, a hole drilled in either end. And then I'm stringing a wire straight across between the two holes. And then the, the hanging system is stainless steel cables that hang down with little hooks on them. So each piece will hang mm-hmm. on two of those cables. I've seen that system before and I know there's a name for it. I'm not remembering what it is. Uh, there's a, several different systems, but I think one of them is the Walker system you might mm-hmm. be thinking of. That's but it's it. used in a lot of galleries, and it's not one that I've ever dealt with before. So I went over and checked it all out to make sure that at least one of the pieces will hang nicely and flat against the wall. So that's the kind of stitching I've been doing is beating up my um, my hands with heavy stabbing through layers of fabric over and over again. I do hope you're using a thimble. I can't really on this. I use really? a thimble when I when I do hand quilting, but I do not use a thimble for regular sewing. So I use a thimble all the time. Huh? Yeah. Well, maybe I should try it. 
because yeah. I, I'm going to be bleeding on my quilts before you it's will be. You will be. And then the you know the other thing I use uh, just a little tip here is you know sometimes when you have a jar opener there are those uh, sort of flimsy plastic pieces that you put over the top of a jar. I don't you know what exactly they call those what they call those rubber husbands. Oh my goodness! Well, what a name. I know. So I use one of those <laughs> when when I am trying to pull a needle through something really really tough. So I use a rubber husband mm-hmm. to pull it through, and that helps a lot, and that actually saves my fingers as well. Well, maybe I need to try something. Yeah. <laughs> but pretty yeah. soon, they'll all be done and ready to go, and it'll be exciting. Mm-hmm. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Oh, yes. Yes, I imagine you are. Absolutely. So anything else that you're working on? That is it. That is consuming me. And and when does this need to be done? There must be a, a time level for, or a I time think, stamp for I you. I think I'm going to hang it on the 2nd of March. Wonderful. And it'll, it'll run through March and April. March and April. So I actually went to my local art center on Monday this week. As they opened, I said, I am making a date and I'm going Monday at 10 a.m. and spending 20 minutes and doing this. And uh, saw my local art quilt groups um, hanging. And it was actually a Sakwa group. It was Sakwa, Connecticut. And they hung their uh, local color in the Guilford Art Center, which was beautiful. And it's very exciting to see when other people have artwork that I haven't seen in person yet and see it up and hanging. And it's exciting to see the exhibits starting again and being able to go to them in person again, because we haven't been able to do that in a while. And you know what else is exciting? So I was, I was just uh, browsing Facebook and I noticed that somebody had that I didn't know who doesn't know any of my friends had posted about all the beautiful quilts they had just seen at the Guilford Art Center. So <laughs> it's it was just really fun to see, you know, see art quilts in the wild. Yes. So very, very fun. So today I'm, I'm excited that we're going to be bringing in a new artist in residence today, Margaret Abramshi, and she is going to be talking about how art changes and how we reimagine ourselves and reimagine our art as time goes on. So let's take a quick break and we'll introduce her. Today, we'd like to welcome our artist in residence, Margaret Abramshi. Margaret discovered art quilting after retiring from her career as a public school art teacher. In her recent work, she takes old family photographs and manipulates them digitally, then with textile paint and other media, to transform them into beautiful textile art. While living in Colorado, Margaret joined the Front Range Contemporary Quilters. She had never heard of an art quilt, but quickly discovered the Studio Art Quilt Associates and jumped in feet first. Margaret calls herself the metaphysical quilter because her work transcends the physical into a realm that is spiritual and intellectual. Margaret has continually reevaluated her work as an artist and found ways to imagine it, reimagine it, and reframe it in exciting ways. Welcome to our podcast, Margaret. Hey, Margaret. Hey, I'm so excited to be here with you two. Well, I, I listen I, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought I would start by asking you to pick one of your favorite pieces and describe it to our listeners because they can't see it unless they go to your website. Um, so describe it to us and then describe your process um, because I'm fascinated with how you start with these vintage photos and turn up things that are so contemporary looking. 
Sure. Um, I think a quilt that is a signature quilt for me, something that I found my voice, you know, just as writers have a writer's voice, you know, artists, artists have a voice. And that quilt is Aunt Jen. And Aunt Jen shows a woman who happens to be my Aunt Virginia. And she is in a chenille bathrobe sitting near her desk with a lit cigarette, which my father's entire family were chain smokers. And she's pink. Now, the photograph taken right around World War II, of course, was black and white. And so what I did was I went ahead and had that printed on spoon flower. But before I printed it, I went in and, and it was one of my earlier quilts. So I actually just went into Photoshop and did a few manipulations, reduced it to more of grayscale, you know, values, uh, you know, which is something that one does. And then when it got to my studio, that's when I said, okay, what kind of color am I going to do? And so I created overpainting it with pinks and yellows. So this sort of bright and then just a hint of a blue violet. I think you must have really bumped up that intensity of color when you did that painting too, didn't you? It's truly oh. one of my favorite pieces you've ever well, done. Well, thank you. Well, it, it yes, because, well, you know, I'm I have a master's in art, and I spent 30 years teaching art. So um, I was a painter for a long time. And so when I paint, uh, and no one told me that art quilters didn't do this. So when I got it from Spoonflower, I really just looked at it as having underpainting. So I'm having the grayscales and the values, because most painters start with underpainting in either sepias or grays, and then they glaze which is light layers of color on top. So that's what I was doing. I essentially just took my my regular artist paints and thinned them down. And I also use, um, I use liquid watercolors because they have a really intense color and they're very thin. So I kind of mixed that together and then just glazed it and glazed it and glazed it. I also added the this crazy background. And, you know, it's funny when I see Bisa Butler's work or Kahinde Wiley's work, I'm like, I wonder if we had some sort of mind meld because that is the kind of thing that fascinates me. And I think it's the color and that patterned background, which transforms it from a vintage portrait to a contemporary portrait. It's totally contemporary. You're right. You're right. Really, really beautiful work. Thank well, can you. Can I ask one more question before we go on to some other stuff, bigger picture stuff? And that is, do you have just the mother load of awesome vintage photos? Did you have somebody in your past who was such a good photographer? Because I wish I had a picture of my great aunt in her vintage, in her chenille oh, yeah. bathrobe. Yeah. <laughs> smoking in, in a cigarette LA, like that. In yeah. LA, smoking. LA. Yeah. You know, this is a funny story. Okay. You know how you have that giant family home? And I think, Susan, you know that. You have this family home, and then you decide at some point to move. 
Mm-hmm. And by the time you're at the end of the process, you think, next time I move, I'm just going to burn the place to the ground right. and start fresh because it is such an experience. Well, we had uh, a lovely home in Colorado, and we also had a vacation home in Mesquite, Nevada. And my daughter was also getting married, and I was retiring. And my husband turns to me just after I retired and I was planning this wedding and says, you know, I think we're going to sell the house. And I'm like, yeah, I can see right now. I, the eye roll is happening all across the airwaves. <laughs> I, I, I think that everybody can see what just happened to my face. <laughs> and of course I love my husband. And I said, are you crazy? And he goes, I said, look, we'll put it on the market 4th of July for a week and, or, or a month. And of course, it sold and we ended up moving. Long story short, I just ended up boxing stuff after a while. I just put a box in the garage and whatever. And as I was unboxing, I found the treasure trove, as Susan says, of photographs. And these are ones that had come from my Aunt Virginia's house in LA from my Uncle Tom, who was, you know, the... In West LA, where they lived, they were um, Hollywood people. I even have an mm. aunt who worked in the movies. And so they were really interested in um, photography and film. He was very interested in that. So he took all these photographs. And ah. so I think they must have come from my mother's house when she passed away. Mm-hmm. And I still had the unopened envelope. So when you discovered all these family photos, where were you in your art quilting journey? Because I know you had not been an art quilter at all. You were an artist. But along the way, you discovered art quilts and went a different direction. And, you know, we're talking today about reimagining, right? Mm-hmm. Transforming yourself. Tell us about how that process happened and do you think it was just good fortune that these you discovered these great photos at the time that you were going in a different direction artistically? What happened was, was that, and this is kind of convoluted as life is, I had to start teaching as an art teacher. I had to incorporate math into my curriculum and writing. It's called Common Core. Mm-hmm. I lived up the street, not not up the street, but within 10 minutes of Harriet Hargrave's huh. store. And so I thought, well, I'm going to learn to quilt. You know, that's math all over the place. Harriet, by the way, is completely frightening when you watch her quilt because she's so (laughs) fast and accurate. I never have become a quilter after that experience. But I developed a few little lessons with the kids. And so I started to, to quilt a bit. And I was going to, um, the doctors. And my doctor was an African-American woman, fabulous woman. And out in her lobby, there was this thing on the wall. And I was, and, and <laughs> there was Quilting Arts Magazine on the coffee table. I love your doctor already. I know. She was <laughs> fabulous. Anyway, and so I went into her office. I said, what is that? She goes, oh, that's my work. I go, you're kidding. I said, what is it? And she says, well, she wrote down the name of front range contemporary quilters. And I went to a meeting there and I thought, who knew? And I (laughs) saw all these beautiful quilts that were not quilts. So what year was this? 
approximately. Gosh, my daughter was 16. She's, I don't know. It was like maybe 2010, okay. 2011, something yep. like that. So I started making little fiber art projects. Okay. I wouldn't say completely art quilts. And then I joined a friendship group and I'm going to name drop Lee McComas was in my friendship group. <laughs> and so it was like, oh, and she, you know, as we know, has a process where she goes to Photoshop and does this, you know, stuff. And along the way, at one of the meetings, someone said the word spoon flower. And I, I remember I might have even been sitting nearly or somebody in my group. And I said, what's spoon flower? And they go, oh, you can print on fabric. When I retired, I, I've been using Leslie Riley's artist transfer paper, you know, but it's small. Mm -hmm. And when I retired, I took a class with Jane Dunhamald at Art Quilt Tahoe, and she was teaching how to use Spoonflower. And that's how, that's how it happened. So I love hearing this whole, um, you probably think it's a convoluted path, but it is, it is such an important thing to hear how someone comes to it because you came to art quilting be, being an artist and many art quilters, um, came from a different direction. They might've come first from being quilters and moving into art quilting. But what you're talking about is finding your voice using tools that are out there and exploring the extent that a tool can take you. So I love Leslie Riley's um, transfer artist paper, but you're right. You're limited to eight and a half by 11. And I love the thought of changing stuff in spoon in Photoshop and being able to do whatever I want to do in Photoshop, which, by the way, I'm still not there. Susan and I have both taken classes to learn how to, you know, be more digitally adept at altering our photos and and uh, creating artwork that way. But using a tool like, um, you know, digital printing, which is what Spoonflower is, and there are several different companies out there that do it. But yeah. using these tools in ways that these companies have no clue just how important I think um, they are to to us as art quilters. You yeah. know, Susan, you've been mm -hmm. using the process of digitally printing on fabric as well. What is yeah? How yeah. is yours different? Well, I've been I've been the past couple of years I've been experimenting with this, and I have done some where I have worked in apps on my phone to manipulate photos and overlap imagery, um, and then printed them in color. And then I have other pieces that I have just done as black and white and painted as you do, Margaret. Um, but in looking at your work and hearing about how you're doing it, it's making me think of some other things I could do. And I also have a rich treasure trove of family photos and maybe, maybe not quite as, um, much character in them. <laughs> Some of like your aunt Jen. It might, it, it might be my family. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> your families are characters, but you know, I have my instant ancestors, I call them, which are the images that I have purchased in antique stores. And they are mm -hmm. my instant insta ancestors because I have no connection to them whatsoever. And I feel much less, um, beholden to them personally. I still want to create something beautiful, but I don't have to reflect who those people are. It's just sort mm -hmm. of who I imagine them to be. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have some of those photos too, but um, yeah, it's making me think about it in a different way. And I would love as always to get together with you, Margaret, and see what you're doing because we're doing kind of some similar things with yes. similar materials. And it would be, 
it always just makes me want to like say, oh, I wish we could meet up and play together, have a, a an artistic play date. Yeah, I think together. we can arrange that. I think we should yeah. arrange that. Definitely. <laughs> Margaret, when you take a take an image like Aunt Jen or any of the other beautiful images that you have, have you ever used them in different ways, like the same image, but imagined a different story for that character? Uh, yes. And sometimes, you know, a lot of artists um, talk about working in a series. And so they may take a similar image or a similar process or whatever and, and do it over and over again. That is a very good way for you to move yourself forward. And so um, there is a picture of my father's father, and I have um, done that one several times. Now, one of the reasons I had to do it over was because I just didn't like the result. And sometimes I'm doing it over because I have thought of maybe five different ways to approach something. And I'm going to say, well, I'm going to do all five or whatever. Um, but it's, it really is, um, you know, up to you because you can take any image and especially with digital media. You can alter that and change it. And I, I just wanted to, Susan, you know, I am using apps on my phone all the time. I, you know, I take it into Photoshop Elements um, because there is a quality issue with those apps. Is You know, I have right. to have it larger. Yep. So you, you, you have to have the highest quality image that you can if you want to get that really good print. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm painting on it, um, I still need that quality um, image. So yeah, I have done things over and over again. But the other thing is, is that for me, there's a hidden story. And that's what I love about doing things that are close to me personally, is because I'm having a conversation. Like for instance, my Aunt Virginia went to Stanford at 16, graduated magna cum laude in three years, was a person, she lived till 96. She was brilliant. And she was the reason that I'm a teacher today. Hmm. So I love looking at that image and, and, and having that conversation with that person because she wasn't an old lady teacher. I mean, she used to say to me, she was so funny. She'd say, well, I stopped sending Christmas cards because either my friends are dead or they think I'm dead. She'd say, I didn't get married because I'm not washing any guy's socks. You know, she was just, and and just a brilliant person. So when I'm painting her, I was sort of painting the joy that she was, the, the smart woman that she was, the edgy woman that she was. And so that's really fun. Yeah. And I think sometimes when you're working on a piece, it's, it's like psychotherapy, too, because sometimes you're trying to come to terms with something and working on that piece helps you do that. And if it's a person in your family, too, and you have memories, you're working through all of those memories and the feelings you had or the conflicts that you had um, and other things that you think about around surrounding that person as you make your art. And that's what gives it soul. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. You have to have the heart connection. You're bringing that reader, uh, not the reader, but the yeah. the, the person who's viewing your artwork into that conversation. And, you know, when I look at Aunt Jen, I imagine a different story. 
Yes. And, you know, and I didn't even see chenille on her. I thought that was a, you know, that did look like a house dress to me because it's something similar to what, um, you know, my grandmother would have worn or something like that. But I imagined an entirely different story. Yeah. She sort of looked into my soul, if yeah. I can tell you <laughs> the truth. And she knew a little bit too much about me. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, and I think every viewer has brings a different story with them and views our artwork differently than we might even expect them to. Right. In perusing your website, I noticed that you have at least one piece that it's based on the same photo and you did it again. The the man in yellow with the red suspenders. That's did you the- take an older piece and cut it up and do it over again? Or are those two separate pieces? Well, that is, those are the pictures of my, um, my father's dad, my paternal grandfather, mm-hmm. Thomas Jefferson Lowers. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy who's taking the pictures, Thomas Houston Lowers. But anyway, so what happened was, so you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, how we all went into a cleaning frenzy? You know? <laughs> it didn't <laughs> so, last here, just yeah, it saying. Didn't, it didn't last, but it was there was a moment, you know, there was a window of cleaning. So I was cleaning everything and, you know, not sharing my hoard of, you know, Lysol spray with anyone and doing all that stuff. And I cleaned out my closets. And so I had all these art quilts and quilts, you know, I exhibit extensively. So the, the exhibitions were closing and, you know, quilts were coming back or they weren't going to be sent out and all these things. So I had this kind of line of quilts and I, and I looked at a couple of them and I said, they're never going to go anywhere. And then I was doing something else that was pandemic appropriate. I was binge watching YouTube and I was binge watching like a channel that was all about art. And they had the artist David Sally and he was a West Coast guy. Now he lives in New York, but he was making these disparate images, you know, car, flashlight, kind of pop art thing, naked woman, whatever. And he was putting them together in these very large scale compositions, painting things. And something in my mind went, what if I did that with those old quilts? And so I took two quilts that weren't going anywhere and I sliced them up. And then I know I, I, I have no problem doing that. I don't think of my work as precious. The process is precious. The outcome is is really just proof that I went through the process. So I, I, I cut out the main subject and then I took another quilt and the, I selected the other quilt as a quilt. Yeah, I'm going to cut up, but also different colors, different patterns. I looked at it more as patchwork. And so I reassembled that into a new composition. And I'm loving doing that. I'm absolutely loving doing that. And that is probably going to, my hope is to make maybe a dozen of those. So you're much happier with the second piece. Not necessarily. No, just something different, <laughs> something to try. You know, we all have work that's, you know, the the Swedes call it death cleaning, you know, and I imagine my kids coming to my house and finding piles of junk. And I'm thinking, you know what? I don't want that. I want to use what I have. I want to be conscientious. I want to go ahead and say, 
Well, if it's not going anywhere, let's use it in some other way. Let's let let that thing that I've made serve something else that is is coming. So that's that's the way I see it, you know? You know, in a way, it's sort of like that whole quilted coat thing. Um, yes. Yeah. So you can you can take a, a piece that served its life as a quilt and make something else out of it. But um, we've been talking about this process uh, on the side, Margaret, and I'm excited that you're going to be sharing that with quilting arts readers um, later in this year. So that's a really fun, a really yeah. fun thought. And that is truly reimagining your work because you're taking something that you've looked at in one way and then juxtaposing it with something else. So in cutting it yeah. up, truly. And it, it, it's good for you as an artist to, to don't be afraid to make something ugly. Don't be afraid to not like everything. Don't be afraid that other people won't like it. You know, you, you, when you take risks and when you don't hold your artwork so tight, you're really able to grow much faster. Yeah, doesn't Lyric Kennard call that making bad art, Susan? Isn't yeah, that? I was you just going to bring been, that up. Yep. Yes, we've been make following. bad art is her one of her little mottos. <laughs> I and I I think it's it's a brilliant motto too because mm-hmm. also feel free to throw it out. I mean, I think I've mentioned this before. I used to do a lot of pottery, and I threw more stuff back yeah. into the slip bucket and didn't um, go on yeah. and fire it and finish it because I'm like, you know. No archaeologist wants to find one of these pots because they, you know, they're not beautiful. So what I want to leave behind me is something that I'm proud to leave behind, too. But, um, you know, there is there is a really good reason to practice and make a lot of practice pieces and, you know, give them away. Use them as dog beds, whatever you want to do. And it's it's fine. Yeah. Make bad art and burn it. Yes. And eventually... (laughs) your art will get better and you'll feel much, much differently about it yeah. because you've had that opportunity to make that art. Right. It's the process. It's all process. So, you know. so Margaret, I'm curious what it feels like to, um, to always be sharing now and teaching adults versus young adults, because I know being a high school art teacher, it was probably a different experience and there's Actually, no core curriculum here with uh, art quilters. Is there? Yeah. Just, no. Although I was a middle school teacher. Oh, middle so school. Adults are a lot like middle schoolers. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, they have their little things. I teach online um, because when I really started teaching, I had a group here locally that I was sharing. And I don't like the word teach. What hmm. I'm really doing in the tradition of uh, Maria Montessori is I'm a facilitator. I am really helping you, I'm reflecting back to you, taking you where you are and saying, well, where do you want to go? Or what is it that you want to tell the world? Or what that, that is where my, my interest is. Um, I found that adults in the art quote community are very much wanting technique. How did you do that? How do you deconstruct things? And, you know, as an art teacher, in the summers, um, after we took a week to drink some wine and lay around, <laughs> you know, because you're like, you know, junior high at the end of the year is not, is, is interesting. Let's just 
put it in that category. But we used to do this thing called Mondays with Margaret, and we would all go like to the Denver Art Museum or something like that. And we'd pick a couple of pieces and say, how did they do that? And we kind of go, go back and, and start making projects and sharing them with each other. And so part of, uh, uh, art teachers learn, you know, coming up with projects and things is looking at something and disassembling it and reassembling it again. So that's what I, like to teach to adults is to say, let's play together. Let's play. Let's, let's, let's figure out what we want to do. Let's figure out where you want to go. One of the best teachers that I think is out there is Betty Busby. She is absolutely outstanding. You feel like you have been in kindergarten for the week and you never had such a fun time in your life. But what she really does is she says, Here's some options. Here's some materials. Here's some things. Let's let's see what happens. I mean, that's the kind of teaching that that I like to do. And look what happens when Betty takes a oh, piece of, you know, stabilizer know, and runs like, it through a, a cutter, you know, it, and yeah. and wow. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's but it's also that attitude of let's see what happens, you know. I love your idea about going to a museum. I, I think we could have an entire podcast dedicated to going to museums and learning about art through what we see and, and how we yeah. interpret what the artists are doing and everything. But the thought of deconstructing too, it's sort of like how you learn to cook as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you have an amazing, uh, you know, steak au poivre and, and you try to figure it out at home. That's, that I think is so fun, really fun. I wanted to ask you, Margaret, um, if you're surprised at all that you ended up in art quilting rather than in another medium, and maybe what art quilts as a medium have to offer the viewer and the maker that other medium, you know, other kinds of art don't. What is it about art quilting that floats your boat? Okay. Well, I'm going to, there's two things that, two moments. You know how you have those moments that are like, the, they're more than ahas. They just stay with you. One was when I was in getting my BFA, I took one of my paintings and I was making big abstract work and I cut it up and I had my mother's old, you know, those black singer featherweights that could sew through anything. Mm-hmm. And I re, I sewed it back together along with flipping it to the back side where it was just raw canvas. And then I put stitches in it and it was this organic big kind of thing that was, I don't know, I don't know what the heck it was, but my professors absolutely loved that. And it got into the BFA show and whatever. Second thing, Faith Bringold had a wonderful video that I used to show when I taught elementary school at one time from Reading Rainbow. And she talked about how her mother had visited a museum and saw a Chinese, and I believe it's called a tonga, but it's a, you know, a soft um, piece of art that's, you know, hung on the wall like a tapestry style. And so Faith Ringgold started to paint and then have her paintings quilted so she could roll them up and save on shipping. 
<laughs> and, you know, so there were two things that when I saw art quilts, I immediately said, oh, yeah, I love this. Now, as a person who, you know, made art and sold art and, you know, you know, had that in the back of my mind, I also look at just practically, you know, you know how many oil painters there are here in my town and how many potters there are and how many people are doing watercolors. Art quilting offers the wonderful advantage of having a narrow group of artists who work in it. So I've just been juried into my local gallery and um, I was in one of their shows and I picked up one of my paintings, one of my quilts. And I swear before I could get back to my car, four people asked me, what is that? How do you do that? It, it's a very, it, it's something that when it really, as it's getting out there, people are really attracted to this. They really attracted to it. And I also quite frankly, like the fact that I don't have to frame things. I mean, framing is pricey. <laughs> so um, now what I do, by the way, in galleries is I take and I put a Velcro stick uh, thing on the back of my quilt and a Velcro on my hanging stick, you know, hard hardwood. I put them together and then I string clear. It's almost like a fishing wire, but it's used for hanging. Mm -hmm. And I put that on the back of my quilt through two holes and I kind of grommet them together so that it hangs and you can't see it. And it hangs really nicely. And it's, it's Velcroed. So you can pull it off too. Interesting. Well, I'm going to have to look at that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had a recent experience with a gallery where they required it to be mounted. So yeah. I had to stretch canvas over artist stretcher bars and then stitch the canvas or stitch my art quilt to it. And it was a major pain in the rear. Yes. So it's interesting how as, you know, art, as art quilters are getting their work into galleries and into art shows rather than quilt shows, um, there's some of those little hurdles we have to jump and some education I think we need to do with the art world about, you know, you wouldn't treat a sculpture like this. You wouldn't I say was just going to say that if yeah. you're, if you have a piece of like silver jewelry as part of that, you don't have to mount the silver jewelry. But, but a lot, I think some yeah. galleries think if it's going on the wall, it has to be treated the same as a painting. And as long as it, the presentation is nice and it's flat and it looks good on the wall, does it really matter? how you mm -hmm. hang it. So it's, it, it's interesting. It's, mm -hmm. it's an interesting uh, conundrum. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's about education, isn't it? It's about getting, getting more people out there so that they become familiar. And so right. that's, you know, that's, that's where organizations like SACWA and surface design association, you know, play a role along with artists like Bisa Butler. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Just think just think how the art world has changed over the last year after being exposed to so many of her pieces in yes. so many different um, major museums from from Katona uh, to Chicago to Boston, I think yeah. LA as well. I think she has something up there. Is you know, it's just it's wonderful. Yes. It's wonderful. Yes. Now you the other thing I was interested in when I went 
online and, and looked at some of the videos out there about you is I saw something that the Quilt Alliance had done, the Go Tell It at the Quilt Show from 2015, yeah. where you were talking about a quilt that looked that didn't look like your current work. Is that where you started or is it just a different, is it a divergence? Is it a reimagining? Did you look at your work and say, I want to go in a different direction? Uh, that was the kimonos, wasn't it? Yes. Okay. So Lee McComas had a box of kimonos she had in her garage and we had a challenge to do something with the kimonos. And so that was done as a, a challenge. It's, it's not work that, um, that I do, you know, per se, other than just did it for this group. So, but what it was for me was going to Sacred Threads. And we talked about this before, about the value of getting together in person. Sacred Threads was where I walked around that place and talked to other art quilters. And that was very informative to me because I really wasn't, you know, doing my own work. And that's where that thing uh was like, okay, now I see what this culture, what this community of artists is about. And every community, you know, has their own uh, kind of personality, you know, uh, oil painters have their own personality, uh, you know, uh, jewelers have their own personality. So that, that was what that was about. Well, I always think it's so wonderful to see each artist's journey, where they start, where they branch off, how they decide to take a different direction, or whether they just have one of those aha moments like, oh, I love this. I love this Mm -hmm. technique. I love this look, where they find their voice. Um, And Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that they don't go on sometimes to go in different directions for a while. It's very fun to see that growth and that change in an artist. Yes, absolutely. So, Margaret, you've had a first story. You've had a second story. Are you reimagining again? Well, yes. Um, I have um, a series, a couple of of quilts. Um, There's Shoes and Ships. Um, There was that quilt that was Sky Lanterns. And Mm. I've got one that's going into sustainability, which is called Plastic Ocean. And so, uh, and I had DNA. Now, the, I have a grandchild, okay? And, you know, he's perfect and beautiful, you know, as, as <laughs> you know, expected, you know. So he, I have these pictures of him, surprise, surprise. I have a very treasure trove of pictures of him. And so I've been working with photo collage, like layering photos, one on top of the other. And in a way, it's an extension of a story. And I'm thinking about it, like, for instance, in this quilt, Plastic Ocean, um, I grew up in Hawaii, and um, the ocean, Hanama Bay, when I grew up, which is on Oahu, it's a beautiful place. It's a, a na- it's a park, you know, an underwater sea park. Well, you know, there is so much pollution in our oceans globally. And, you know, it's, you know, plastic bottles and all sorts of things all over the place. And those oceans are just magical spaces. And not only do they feed our planet, 
but it's such a sign of what are we taking care of. So I've been using him as kind of a symbol of the future, you know, and, and, and using him, I have a picture of him drinking from a cup and he's still got his baby curls. And then I laid over it, um, a plastic bottle, plastic netting, junk that I found, you know, pictures of junk that's floating and took pictures of stuff that's floating around in the ocean and layered those together. So I'm moving from maybe a very personal story, you know, like Aunt Jen, where I'm getting that and I'm kind of giving her a personality from a character to moving visually and intellectually to a much to a more complicated story. Well, I cannot see, wait to see what you do next. Well, thank yes. You. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Margaret, and for, you know, really inspiring me to think differently about my artwork, think about what I can cut up and also <laughs> think about where I can go digitally because that's, that's something I definitely want to continue exploring. Yeah. Sounds good. Explore, explore away, make bad art. <laughs> Thanks, Margaret. <laughs> All right. Take care, guys. Margaret had so much to say, and she made me think about things in a really different way. Fascinating. It, it makes me want to take a class with her and also think about what lucky kids, what lucky kids to have a teacher like that who would do something as crazy as go and learn how to quilt so she can also have some math in her art and who would just take all those risks. Yeah. Yeah. I had a couple of art teachers who really changed my life that I still think about. But um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's um, good to think about what you want to change. If you want to change something in your art, kind of purposefully go in a new direction. That's right. That's right. So Susan, what's our quote for the week? Okay. So this quote is by Nathan W. Morris, who is a personal finance expert. And he said, edit your life frequently and ruthlessly. It's your masterpiece after all. I like that quote because he's not talking necessarily about art, but art is my life. So you think about how you're going to edit it, how you're going to change it, what direction you're going to go in next. Wonderful words. Thank you so much, Susan. Thanks, Vivica. Thank you for listening to the Quilting Arts Podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. This podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. Our show notes with images, links, descriptions, and more are available on quiltingdaily.com. Our producer is Daisha Clay, and our web producer is Sarah Erickson.